I'll bet you we're the only church to open a service <laughs> with Leonard Skinner. That was good, man. That was all right. That was all right. Hey, the reason we're doing that is in this year's I had the idea after studying the book of Psalms for a while, thinking about songs that are worth singing. Because the book of Psalms is really a book of songs. And I started thinking there's probably a lot of songs that we know, lyrics that we know. Decades, heard them decades ago, that still stick with us that probably aren't worth singing. Now, not that Sweet Home Alabama isn't worth singing. I don't want to step on redneck uh, sensitivities. <laughs> but we know a lot of these songs from years ago that, that, that stick with us, right? Right? And, and they probably aren't all of them worth singing. But in the Psalms, which are songs, it's full of lyrics that are worth singing. They're worth singing over our lives. They're worth singing over our families. They're worth singing over our kids. And so every week in the, in the next seven weeks, as we, as we go through the, the book of Psalms, we're going to open each service with a song that you probably all know all too well. Maybe not have heard it in a long time, but we know it. To drive home the point that there's a lot in here and a lot in here that probably is not really worth remembering. And there's a lot in here that is worth remembering. And so we're going to kick off every series now, or every, every message, right at the top. So here's the, don't be late. Don't be late. Some of you are getting in the habit, I'll just show up out of the music. Well, hey, we're going to kick it off with some music I think you'll like. <laughs> So show up on time. Okay. The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. It's 150 chapters long. I, 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 would, I would wager that there's probably many of us who have heard the Psalms and know bits and pieces of a few different Psalms, but really haven't, if we're students of the Bible, it's one of those books that we probably haven't really dove into. One, because it's poetic. Uh, and we don't do well with poetic literature. Uh, two, because it's just so big. 150 chapters. It's a beautiful cross-section of God's faithfulness to his people and his people's response to him and his faithfulness. Psalms serves as the prescription for a complacent people. Through the Psalms, we get a new and a fresh revelation of how great and how wonderful and how magnificent and how wise and how utterly awesome God is. The Psalms is full of God's people talking to him and then waiting for God's response to them. And in the Psalms, we're given prayers and praise and faith and hope and community, and as we learn these psalms and actually pray God's words back to him, it builds a sense of community, not only with his people, but with their God. Jesus often quoted the psalms, and Jesus often prayed the psalms back 
to his father. Of all the song lyrics we know, and there's probably a lot, most of them aren't really worth knowing. We'd be wise to learn the songs and the lyrics in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is an important book for us to study. Because it's in the Psalms that I'm told that God is my shepherd and he restores my soul. It's in the Psalms that I'm reminded that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It is in the Psalms that I'm told that his love endures forever. It's in the Psalms that I know that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. It's in the Psalms that I told that those who take refuge in God will be made glad. It's in the Psalms that I know that God blesses the righteous and surrounds the righteous with his favor as with the shield. It's in the Psalms that I know and that I'm told that God will never forsake those of us who trust in him. It's in the Psalms that tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God and this proclaim, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's in the Psalms that I learn that the Lord is my light and my salvation, that he is a stronghold of my life. So whom shall I be afraid? The Psalms have lyrics that are worth knowing. 150 chapters broken up into five books. What we know as the book of Psalms is 150 chapters long broken up into five books. And the five books of Psalms parallel the five books of what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Book 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 parallel Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The book one of Psalms, chapters 1 through 41, parallel the book of Genesis. They tell us of the understanding of humanity, our state of blessedness, our fall, and our redemption. They are written by David, and they are deep, personal, and passionate, full of sorrow and full of joy. Book two of Psalms, chapters 42 through 72 parallel the Old Testament book of, of Exodus. And they tell us about the deliverance of God provided by God. Deliverance is highlighted. And we see in the book 2 of Psalms, chapters 42 through 72, God's work to set his people free from their enemies and from dangers. And we are reminded that God is our stronghold and he is our only deliverer. And we see this gracious hand of God that in his righteousness and faithfulness to his people leads his people from despair to freedom. And we find maximum safety and security in his arms. And we also see in Book two of Psalms, the transient nature of wealth and success, and we're warned not to chase it. In book three of Psalms, it parallels the Old Testament book of Leviticus, Psalm 73 through 89. And it focuses on the worship of God and the praises by the people of God as they gather together for corporate worship. And we're reminded that the only things of value are things that are possessions of God. 
Book four of Psalms. Numbers, the Old Testament book of Numbers. It, 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 it follows the Old Testament book of Numbers. Chapters 90 through 106. And it focuses on God's ruling power as well as our capacity and propensity to wander from his care. And it reminds us that we are prone to reject him as our refuge. The only way to find our way through the desert out of bondage and slavery is by his faithful, trustworthy leading. And we're reminded to follow him. And in book five of Psalms, it parallels the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Psalms chapters 107 to 150. And book five of Psalms, those chapters revolve around God's power and blessing and the importance of God's word. Through all the Psalms, we're constantly reminded that the best sacrifice that one can offer back to God is the sacrifice of an obedient and faithful life that resounds with praise towards Him. And so in this series, 150 chapters, we're not going to go through every one of them. We're going to take eight weeks to take snapshots through the five books of the major sections of Psalms. And so this first one, week one in book one, comes from Psalm 20 and Psalm 31. And the Bible says, the Bible says, and it reminds us that God delivers because of his righteousness. God doesn't deliver his people because his people are worthy of deliverance. Thank God for that. Because what I know is this, sometimes I don't live as though I'm worthy to be delivered, right? Okay, well, maybe there's three of you like me in this place. <laughs> what I know about me is sometimes I don't live during the week like I deserved for God to step in and deliver me from my mess. And I'm thankful that God chooses to deliver me, not based on my credibility, but based on his righteousness. Right? And so what we learn in Psalm 20 is this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The context of Psalm 20 is preparation for military battle. Now, that's where this psalm was written. Preparation for military battle. I think I'm safe to say this, that over the past year and a half or so, it has felt many times like when we get up in the morning, we're facing a battle. Am I right? It has very much been... That every day I wake up, I'm facing a new battle, a new struggle, or the same old one day after day after day. And so this psalm 
is a good song worth singing over your life and over your family. And if you have children, certainly over your kids. This psalm starts with these words. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. What, what's something you learn from that little verse? Yeah, we learn that God will answer us. But he'll answer us in which day? We will have days of trouble. Right? Jesus confirmed this when Jesus said, make no mistake about it. In this world, you will have trouble. I don't know why we get surprised when it comes. Right? I mean, every one of us. Trouble happens like, what? what's going on? As if we haven't been warned up front, there will be days of trouble. Now, as I was studying this, three things hit me. One, the Bible guarantees trouble in life. It just does. So let's not be fooled to thinking if we give our life to Jesus, everything's, everything's good. It's not. The Bible guarantees trouble. Here's the second thing that it guarantees. That our trouble will be longer than just a moment. Right? Like oftentimes, when trouble hits, we're a little bit shocked up front, like because we don't see trouble coming when we've been warned it's going to come. And then when it hits, like, okay, as long as it goes quick, we'll be all right. It guarantees trouble in life. It guarantees it's going to last for more than just a moment. But it also guarantees it ain't going to last forever. There's a day, not an eternity. The psalmist says, may the Lord answer you not in your eternity of trouble, in your day of trouble. It means it will be answered. May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. Please understand, some of you have been in a very long day. Right? Like Groundhog Day, just over and over and over. But the Bible reminds us that God will answer. And when you trust him, him as your refuge, he will not allow you to be put to shame. May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. The psalmist knows that God's promise is to protect and be gracious to and to give peace to his people. Way back in the book of Numbers, the great benediction in all of Scripture, the great blessing spoken over God's people. I memorized this passage when I was in college. Memorize it yourself. Number 6, 24 through 26. The great benediction over God's people. The great truth is this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon his or may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The great benediction. 
The people of God knew that in their head. They knew it in their heart. But until you go through the day of trouble, you don't realize what you have to experience. And now that they're in trouble, now that they've experienced the day of trouble, now that they're looking at battles and wards before them, they invoke the name of God over their life. There's power in the name of God. And because we're not ancient Hebrews, we've lost perspective of the idea and the truth that there's power in the very name of God. God's name is what? God's name is Jehovah, the God who acts. Jehovah, the God who acts on his people's behalf in real time in their lives. His name, Jehovah, my warrior, his name. Jehovah, my shepherd, his name. Jehovah, my healer, his name. Jehovah, my peace, his name. Jehovah, my provider. And the name of God is what God's people are to find protection in. When we call on that name in our day of trouble, here's what happens oftentimes. Because of ignorance of God's word, when we face days of trouble, when we face days of lack, because of ignorance, many people say this, God help. Nothing wrong with saying God help. But the psalmist reminds us that the name of God is our help. Rather than in lack and need saying, God, help, the psalmist reminds us, Father, you are my God and you are my provider. And I call on your name in this moment, in my time, because I need your intervention. You have said that you are Jehovah, my provider, and I call on you to be and show yourself exactly as you have said you are. My help is in your name. Do you understand the difference? These are songs we're singing. These are war lyrics we're speaking over your life. There's power in the name of God. In his very name. His name protects us when we call on his name in our day of need and trouble. One of the things I love about the Psalms is that it was written by people that knew God intimately. And one of the things that's exposed in Psalms is how much we don't. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Watch this. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. The book of Psalms tells us that God cares about our giving and God cares about our sacrifices. Do, you, do any of you know what the longest chapter in the Bible is? A little Bible trivia. Anybody know the longest chapter in the Bible? Say it, say, say it with some confidence, like you know what you're talking about. Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible. Do you know what Psalm 119, 119 is all about? <laughs> Haven't finished it. I mean, I don't know who said that, and I don't want to know. 
But if you've really read it, you would know from jump what it's about. <laughs> Any of you know what Psalm 119 is about? It's longest chapter in the Bible. Well, I'm glad you didn't say Jesus. <laughs> in the first service, like Jesus, I don't know. Like we're in church, the answer's got to be Jesus, right? Like, I, I guarantee you, go to any church and you ask the question, what's a little critter with a big bushy tail and collects nuts and lives in the trees? They're going to say Jesus. It's because the answer's always got to be Jesus, right? Let, let me tell you, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, and it's all about God's Word. The priority, the preeminence, the sacredness of the Word of God. Let me ask you this question. What's the second longest chapter in the Bible? Let me help you out. Number seven. Number seven is the second longest chapter in the Bible. Do you even know what that chapter is about? What? You say love? The law, the law not law. The second longest chapter in the Bible is about God's people's generosity and giving. So understand this. If we, if we assume that what God talks most about is what he cares about most, what does God care most about? His word. Right? The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away. People will pass away, but God's word remains forever. So based on what God has to say the most about, God obviously cares most about his word. Does that make sense? Okay. By that same logic, what does God care second most about? Yeah, thank you, Billy. He cares second most, by that same logic, God cares second most about our generosity and our giving. And that's what the psalmist says. May he remember all your offerings. Why? Because he does. And may he regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. God does care about our generosity and our giving. And God records it all. And when the Bible says, may he add, may he regard it with favor, he, it literally means may he make it fat with prosperity. May God add favor and prosperity to your generosity and your sacrifice. I mean, this is a promise all through the Bible. The Old Testament prophet Malachi. Some like to say he's the first Italian prophet, Malachi. That's a dumb pastor joke. I'm sorry. You got two things working against my humor, okay? I do dad jokes and I do pastor jokes, and they're just terrible. But in, in, in Malachi, the Bible says that God will open the windows of heaven and flood flood blessings on his people for those who bring the whole tithe. It's all through the Bible. And consider this. God never, ever, ever promised to bless our debt, our spending, nor our savings. God has promised to bless our giving and our generosity. And the psalmist says, remember my generosity towards your kingdom. He goes on. 
May he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. Wouldn't that be nice? Like if God just gave you a blank check and said, I'm going I'm to grant all your heart's desires, I'm going to fulfill all your plans. Go ahead. Listen, your heart's desires, when the psalmist uses that, it does not mean anything we want. It, we, 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 cannot, we cannot slowly slide into the prosperity preaching and the name it and claim it and blab it and grab it stuff. May he grant you your heart's desires to fulfill all your plans. Does not mean whatever you want. You want to know the key to God granting you your heart's desires? I can't hear a word you're saying. I feel like you might be saying something good, Lauren, but I can't hear a word you're saying. So maybe tell those two guys next to you because they're probably not as smart as you. So here, here, here's, here's, I'm, I'm going to give you the key for God giving you and answering fulfilling your heart's desires. Get, get, guess what book it's found in? Yeah, good, good guess. <laughs> Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself for the Lord, and he'll give you what? The desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him and his kingdom in the Lord, and those desires that you have because you're delighting in him will be his desires. He'll give you every dang one of them. And this is the exact same thing that Jesus then reiterates in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Your heart's desires be the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will be added. So when the psalmist says, may he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans, absolutely. When your desires, when his kingdom is your delight. Do you understand? The psalmist goes on. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May we understand what you've done and fly our flag over your name. From my perspective, it is tragic how our culture flies its own flag over every given agenda and perspective. Everybody's flying a flag. Everybody's creating a banner in the name of their agenda. And the psalmist says, the people of God should fly their flag over the name of Jesus, and that's the only flag that ought to fly. May we shout for joy over your salvation, what you've done, and plant our flag in your name. Here's, here's what I know. What we celebrate is what we most value. And the psalmist says, celebrate God. Because his kingdom and desires is your heart. You're starting to value his kingdom and his word and his will. Celebrate what he's done. We cannot say nor suggest a person or a thing is important if we don't celebrate it. 
How does something have priority in our life and it not be celebrated? Think about that in our context of relationships with each other. The Bible says that Jesus is our salvation. And to celebrate him authenticates the value we place in him. To celebrate Jesus authenticates the value that we... We can't say we value something if we don't celebrate it. And to say we value Jesus, and the psalmist says, necessitates that we celebrate him. You know how you celebrate Jesus? By our worship? By how we treat those he died for? By our generosity? By our joy and engagement of life? I mean, just think about it. Think about the, think about the, the dichotomy of what's going on here in life. The Bible tells us in John 10 that Jesus, the thief comes for three reasons, to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus but I've come that you might have life and have that life abundantly. See, here's what I know. The degree to which we celebrate God will be shown to the degree by which we enjoy life. How can we say that we know and have grabbed onto and accessed the abundant life that Jesus has given us and then not celebrate the life we have? To say that I have been given abundant life by God, to say that life has been added to life in my life and then not celebrate and be joyful and enjoy the life I've been given flies in the face of my proclamation. And there's so many of us Christians that have not yet learned to enjoy the life we've been given. And there's so many of us Christ followers that are still waiting for the next blessing from God as if we haven't been given enough. God, if I could just have the next, if I could just have a newer, if I could just have a different, and until you give me another thing, I just it just isn't. Why, where have we become? So ungrateful for the blessings of God right now. Do you understand? And the proof of our celebrating Jesus is shown in our enjoyment of the life he's given. Now I understand that some people are going through burdens in life right now. And it's real hard to enjoy life. I get it. Really, I get it. But what we learned at the beginning is that there's a day of trouble, but there's an eternity coming. And the knowledge of that eternity is worth the celebration in the moment. Paul prayed for wisdom and revelation to know God better, that the eyes of his heart would be enlightened, to know the hope to which he's been called, and the glorious inheritance that is his. And even in the day of trouble, that glorious inheritance is worth celebration. Watch this. The psalmist says, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Did you know that the prayer of Psalm 20 is for God to fulfill our prayers? Like the Bible says. The psalmist says, my prayer is that God will fulfill your prayers. So you know how to get God to fulfill your prayers? No, pray what he said. 
He's given us promises. Pray those back to him. He's got to fulfill them. He's told us what he will do. Pray those back to him. He's got to do it. The psalmist says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. To trust in this context in Psalm 20 as a military preparation, to trust in chariots and horses was to trust in strategy and to trust in strength and to trust in accumulation. See, if the king knew that I have more horses, I got more chariots, I got a better battle strategy than my opponent, I know I'm going to be victorious. That's the idea. And so the king would amass these war chests before they went into battle to guarantee their victory. And God says this, that's how the world runs their life, by their wisdom, by their strategy, and by the amassing of things. He said it must be different with my people. So in Deuteronomy 17, verse 16, in his charge to the kings over his people, he says, do not amass chariots and do not amass horses. Trust in my name. Rely on God and what his word has declared himself to be. Now, there's nothing wrong with strategy. There's nothing wrong with making plans. The Bible talks a lot about the necessity for both of those. There's nothing wrong with being strong. But for the Christ follower, we are not to trust in our strategy when our strategy differs from God's word and his wisdom. We are not to trust in our strength in place of God's provision. So let's just think about it. Don't trust in chariots and horses. Trust in the name of the Lord. Don't trust in the current culture strategy in doing things. So what's our culture strategy in doing things? Let's just think about this for a minute. Our culture's common strategy. And talk about relationships. If you like someone, just move in with them and live together and figure out if they're the right one or not. Right? Isn't that, common? Isn't that our, our culture's common strategy? Like, don't jump into marriage till you're convinced they're the right one. And the best way to figure out the right one, just live with them. Right? I had someone tell me this. The smartest thing a young couple could do is live together and start having sex so they figure out if they like how each other do it. Like Christian people. Let's just talk about current strategy. Current strategy says, you know what? It's your money. Spend it on whatever you want. Right? Isn't that the strategy of our culture? Right? There's so many wrong, things wrong with that statement. First of all, to think it's your money. It's not your money. It's God's money. So invest in God's stuff. What's the current strategy? The, culture, the strategy of our culture is if you can't afford something, just go into debt. It's all right. Everybody does it. Just get it now. Pay for it later. Right? Would I step on too many toes? Now you're not agreeing with me? Unless I'm saying something wrong? I mean, what's the current strategy? Someone posts something stupid and angry, you respond in kind. You got a right to answer. Let me just ask, how has the current culture and strategy worked out for humanity? The psalmist says, don't trust in that stuff. Psalm 31.1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, 
deliver me. Psalm 31 opens with this emphatic declaration of trust. The writer of Psalms has put his trust in God, has found his refuge in God and his word. And there's a declaration, because I trust in you and your word, God, and your strategy, I will never, ever be put to shame. When we take refuge in the name of Jehovah our God, his honor is at stake when his people are in need. And God will always honor his name. His covenant promises are tied to his name. And he has to honor his name. And that's why the psalmist says, when I take refuge in you, when I do it your way and not culture's way, when I do it according to your word and not the strategies of this world, I will never have to hang my head in shame. God always honors his word because his word honors his name. Look at this. God is committed to authenticating his word when we enact his word. You understand? So, throughout this series, I'm going to do something every week for you. I'm going to give you a prayer based on the scriptures that we've looked at. So I want to give you a prayer. A song worth singing. Lyrics worth speaking over your life, your family, your, future, your present and your future. You ready? Okay. I feel like I've done a pretty good job up to this point explaining why we need to speak these lyrics over our life. So that when I ask the question, can I give you a prayer where you can do that, my expectation is for a little bit more exuberance of a yeah! great now I heard a few people on this side say that they're interested that I didn't hear anybody on this side and so this is on our app I, I, I put it there so you would have it here's the prayer father I run to you for refuge deliver me I trust in your name you are my warrior and you are my deliverer. Remember my sacrifices for your kingdom. Help me want what you desire and then give me the desires of my heart. I trust in your name. You are my master and you are my Lord. I trust you. The bottom line is that God will deliver because he is righteous, not because we put ourselves in a righteous position. We are unrighteous, he is righteous, and he delivers because of his righteousness. And that's good news because we've already affirmed the fact that you and I sometimes live as unrighteous, not worthy of deliverance. Thank God for his righteousness. And so because God delivers based on his righteousness, not on my goodness, it then changes now how I live. Please understand the relationship here. I, I put this in the vernacular. This is how I talk. I no longer live good to cause God to deliver. Because God chooses to deliver, I now live good. Do you understand the difference? Yes. Let me put it to you another way. We are, not, we are delivered not because of our righteousness nor our sacrifices. We are righteous and sacrificed because we've been delivered. Amen. 
The rule is always this. The degree to which I realize I've been delivered determines the degree to which I live rightly in sacrifice. When I realize that I am not worthy of God's intervention and deliverance, when I realize of what I is really I am due because of how I've lived, and I realize that even in spite of that, because God is righteous, he's chosen to deliver me, that propels my righteous living and my sacrifice. Please understand, book one of Psalms, most of them we know without a doubt they were written by David. The ones we're not sure of, we expect they were. Book one was written by a man named David who knew of his own unworthiness. He was a man that saw God continually intervene and deliver him in spite of his own unrighteousness. He was a man who sacrificed greatly for the kingdom of God. And he's the one man in scripture who we're told is a man after God's own heart. And so we pray. Words that came inspired from the Holy Spirit through David to us. And we pray. God's very words and promises back to him over us. And we enact his word in the book of Psalms back to God. And God then authenticates the word that we've enacted in our lives. And so we pray. Father, I run to you for refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me. I trust in your name because you are my warrior, God, and you are my deliverer. Remember my sacrifices for your kingdom, that they not be in vain. Help me want what you desire, and then give me the very desire of my heart. I trust in your name. You are my master. You are my Lord. I trust you. Pray God's word over you. Pray it over your children. Father, we run to you as our refuge. You are the refuge for my children. Deliver them. We as a family trust in your name. You are my children's warrior and you are my child's deliverer. Remember the sacrifices of our family for your kingdom's sake. Help us to want your desires and give us the very desires of our heart. We trust in your name. You are my master and you are my Lord. You are my son's master and my son's Lord. You are my daughter's master and my daughter's Lord. We trust you. Deliver us and let us never be put to shame. Pray it and say, Father, I declare your word over me. I declare your word over my family. I declare your word over my marriage. I declare your word over my children. I've enacted your word. Now authenticate it because of your righteousness. And experience the deliverance of a righteous God. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that it reflects and it reveals your character. Thank you that you are trustworthy to fulfill your word. Thank you that you've given us lyrics in your word that are worth speaking and singing over our lives. And so, Father, in this moment, 
we pray your word back to you over us. Hear our prayer as we enact it in our lives, authenticate it in our world. Father, we run to you. You are our refuge. Deliver us. We trust in your name. You are our warrior and you are our deliverer. Remember our sacrifices for your kingdom's sake. Give us the desires of our heart and then let it be in line with your desires. I trust you. You are my master. You are my Lord. My trust is in you. As I take refuge in you, your name and your word, let me never, ever, ever be put to shame. Father, you got people in this room right now that are in the business of enacting your word over their life. Father, you have told us that your eyes range to and fro about the earth, looking for hearts who are fully yours, that you may fully support them. You got people right now in this place whose hearts are turning to you because you said you would fully support them. For those who are coming to you right now as their deliverer, for those who are putting their trust in you right now, for those who are moving from the strategies of the culture of this world into the strategy and kingdom and priority of your kingdom, fully support them as you said you would. Father, you are our deliverer and you is our refuge. Let us never be put to shame. We trust you.